All right, Lord, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together to be together and to just enjoy your presence in our midst. God, we just pray that as we talk through some of the the practicals, the nuances of of doing uh, ministry on our campus, God, we pray first that you would give us the heart to do the act. Lord, we pray that your desire for our friends, our classmates, that our passion would be your passion. Lord, motivate us by your your heart, your compulsion. But may we not do it out of any selfish motivation or drive, but out of desire for your glory to be lifted high. May we worship you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Our worship leader in the back. Start the.
This is the group of students that we have the longest. Um, if you reach a freshman, and and they, you know, most of you. I mean, how many of you here are freshmen? Okay. Yeah. So you know, a little less than half. About half of, of LTC is freshmen. Um, you all, as freshmen small group leaders, now will have three years to to lead small group. Yeah. You know, if, if you graduate in the traditional four year track. So you might be on five. five? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've had small group leaders do six. Eight. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this this group of it, it's strategic to reach freshmen because you know you just the more you lead small group, the, the more years that you have to lead small group, the better you get at it. And so you end up finding that you know even if you're an older student, that's maybe next year you only have one year to lead small group. Investing in freshmen is so wise because you're investing in um, students who are going to do this the longest. Secondly, uh, freshmen, <laughs> and a lot of this is going to sound funny to y'all because you're going to start hearing like why we did the things that we did during welcome week and like, you know, so just think of yourselves not so much as freshmen anymore because some of the stuff is going to sound really funny, <laughs> but freshmen don't have friends, so for the most part. <laughs> freshmen come into they come into uh, college, honestly, like, uh, that was me. I, I came to CSU um, not knowing really anyone. Like, I didn't know a single person. Okay? And that's going to be very strategic uh, for building community. And we'll get to that in a second. Thirdly, the freshmen are um, really, they're, they're looking for community. They're looking to be part of something. They're looking to start their college experience by really connecting with friends. Um, and I think that's probably the, the number one priority, the number one need that is felt by freshmen in particular. Fourthly, um, freshmen are really the most open we found to just the idea of small group, to talking about the Lord. Um, uh, we find that older students um, who have been on campus who have interacted with various ministries, um, if they've been repeatedly rejecting those offers to be involved in a ministry, they just seem to get, it, it's like harder and harder to engage those students as time goes on. Does that make sense? But freshmen, um, it's like a clean slate. I mean, it, you might be, you probably will be the first um, Christian to intentionally meet them on campus um, and really pursue them, okay? And so that's, that's gonna make a huge difference. They are, uh, they have the least formed identity, and so you all can remember, like when you were coming out of high school and going into college, you you, you probably felt like college was going to be a time where you're going to really define who you are. You know, I, I remember feeling that way. I felt like college for me was like a chance to start over mm -hmm. and redefine, remake my image. And my goal for that was not godly, but but still, I was ready to have a new identity. I was ready to be a new person. Um, so when God interacts with a person who is seeking a new identity, um, although they may be seeking it in the wrong places, when God imparts his identity to students, um, that's where we see transformation take place. Okay? So it's strategic to reach freshmen because of that. They are the most available. Okay? Freshman year is your easiest year. Hopefully. <laughs> if you're doing it right. <laughs> Which means, honestly, and, and you'll realize this, 
that the freshmen will always think that they are busier than they actually are. And maybe some of you can attest to that. You're like, yeah, my first, my first semester, I did way too much. Um, that was my, that was in my case. Like I, I, I had this idea that college was going to be actually harder than it ended up being, um, because you just, you know, you see movies and, and you see this, you have this stereotype that you know college is going to be like just endless studying and, and just like no free time, whatever. Uh, but I found that not necessarily to be true. Now, depending on your major, it, that definitely differs. But even I would say freshman engineers do have quite a bit of time on their hands. Okay. Honestly, way more than you will have later. <laughs> so if we're comparing a freshman engineer to a junior engineer, trying to reach that, that person, um, I would always pick the freshman because the freshman is going to be more available. And remember our criteria that we're looking for, faithful, available, teachable. Mm -hmm. That available component is huge. Mm -hmm. um, you could have somebody that, that wants Jesus and, and wants to know about Jesus, but they're never around, and they will not be discipled. They're just not available. So you want to find those that are available. Next, um, this is really funny, but uh, freshmen have not uh, really, it, they're, they're the most impressionable group, meaning like we get to define what's cool for them. Okay, when we invite, when we invite freshmen to our welcome week parties and we do flaming tennis balls, honestly, older students might find that kind of like lame. <laughs> but... <laughs> When you're a freshman and, and you're just you're just entering college and you're you're at the carnival, which that's not very fun. <laughs> and, okay, maybe some people think it's fun. When you go to this party and, and, and you experience playing tennis balls, it like defines you're you're defining your experiences early on. Does that make sense? And so we get the chance to really leave an impression. Um, you get to be you're cool in freshmen's eyes. Like an older student reaching out to them is a big deal, okay? So, so you're not necessarily a peer with them. You're, you're seen as, as like an older brother or older sister, and so you're more likely to have a voice in a freshman's life. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, next, and, and finally, if we reach the freshman class, we will be effectively reaching CSU. So it's easier to think of Come reaching 5,000 students than 30,000 students, right? We can reach 5,000 students. We can, we can do this every year. If we, if we just continue to faithfully uh, reach out to freshmen and, and strategically reach them, over time, we will be reaching the whole campus. Okay, Because every year, there's a new group of freshmen. Um, and every year, that previous year of freshmen are, are moving on. They're, they're getting older. And so if we can just focus on reaching the freshmen well, we will eventually be reaching CSU. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. that's really good, Brent. Cool. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about why Welcome Week specifically is important. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun, <it>, guys. <laughs> like I said, you don't, you're all sophomores now. <laughs> we're, not, we're not making fun of you. <laughs> why we really focus on Welcome Week is um, that first reason, classes haven't started yet. So you have, I love that CSU does this. We have like these few days of just like free time before you get started. You can, you know, the freshmen are settling in. 
And um, man, those first few days are the friends that they're going to make that they'll walk with throughout the year. You know, their their doormates, their uh, hallmates, um, people that um, they just meet at. You know, all these events that they do. And so um, this is a very important time for us to to be there, <laughs> to be present, to to be one of the first faces that they connect with. Um, and yeah, one great thing, classes haven't started yet, so they have a lot of time, you know, they can hang out in the middle of the day, they can hang out in the morning, they can hang out at night, and they don't need to go home and study, you know, it's like, it, it's good. So there's just that freedom of time, and, and that time is specifically for making friends, and so it's just a great, perfect time for us. Um, yes, another great thing about it is you will only meet freshmen at these, <laughs> at these first events. You know, there will be no, rarely any other, like, sophomore, junior, senior, um, that's not, like, in a club already. Um, and so you don't have to worry about, oh, maybe I won't meet a freshman, because 99.9% sure you're going to meet a lot of freshmen. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a great thing. And, um, yeah, so we say you need, on average, 10 contacts for every one person who will end up in your small group. The only time of year where you can make 10 contacts in a single day is welcome so true and you might be thinking wow 10 contacts that's a lot of contacts but actually in welcome week 10 contacts you can do that so quickly i mean so quickly a couple hours yeah i mean dorm move-ins you know you're just constantly meeting people um you know the carnival uh, just even walking around sometimes they're freshmen just like looking around and you're like do you need help like where do you where are you trying to go and then you just talk to them and then you get their number and they're okay to give away their number all the time because yeah. they're, they think this is normal and so uh, it's kind of cool they, <laughs> later in the year you know I feel like freshmen get a little more hesitant to giving away their phone number and so this that is a great dark. time. Um, so yeah, and it, it's true for every 10 contacts, one of those people will stick around. You know, you just have to think of it like, you know, I'm just gathering, 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 trying to, to spread as much as you can. And um, hopefully a few of those will actually stick around and want what you have to offer. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, go to the next one. Um, yeah, leave it there. So we want to we want to just again reiterate, like maybe you're thinking like you have a group in mind that the Lord's like put on your heart. Maybe there's a demographic on campus you're like, I really want to reach like, Greek life. I really want to reach my classmates. I really have some friends already I want to reach, and that's really good. That's really good. But this is I want you to think through very carefully who you're going to reach first, and who you're really going to build your small group around. Um, again. Your friends, okay, we'll just take your friends for instance. If, if you've got some friends that you're wanting to, to invite in a small group, that's good. But I want you to think through, are your friends faithful, available, teachable? And your friends are not always faithful, available, teachable. You, know, you might have a really close friend that you've made this year or in college that is just not teachable. And I would caution you against thinking like, okay, I've, I've got a small group already because I've got these two friends. We're really close, you know. But maybe they're not they're not faithful, available, teachable. I want you to be careful not to just invest and put all your eggs in that basket. I've seen it happen too many times as a resource leader to let you all do that again. Um, and, and what ends up usually being the case, I, I had this one um, small group leader. He was banking on this group of freshmen coming in from his hometown that he had a connection with from high school. 
Okay, but they had not really, they weren't even really that close. And he was banking on like, these, these are for sure gonna be my guys. He didn't really try very hard to meet new people during welcome week. He wasn't strategic in his reaching, and guess what, those guys didn't want to be in small group. So what ended up happening is he missed this most critical, crucial time because he was banking on this group of people that weren't faithful to be able to teach him. Okay, so I, I want to caution you against that. Um, they, we say this, and you've probably heard Nate say this, they need to be okay with two things, or excuse me, they need to, they need, they need to be really into one thing and okay with two things. Right. Does Nate told you guys that? Do you guys remember what those three things are? Yeah. What is it? Uh, community, <laughs> Jesus, and you. Yeah, community, Jesus, and you. Okay, you can go to the next slide then. Yeah. <laughs> community, Jesus, and you. They need to be okay with two of those and really into one of those, okay? The group on campus that are most likely going to be into really two of those, at least, are freshmen. Um, you might find that your classmates are well, willing to hang out with you but want nothing to do with Jesus or the community. Mm -hmm. That's typical. I would say that's the norm. Mm -hmm. Your classmates are in that boat for the most part. But freshmen are more likely to, if they come from a Christian home, be willing to try Christian community. They're okay with it. And they might even be okay with Jesus still at that point. Okay, again, going back to what we were mentioning, they're not really, they haven't dived into the world yet. And I, I think that just makes such a huge difference. If we can win freshmen before they've had to go through, you know, a year or two of, of just the party lifestyle, you know, and, and then realizing like there's nothing in it. If we can reach them as freshmen, think of the heartache you're saving them from. Think of the shame and, and just the just the, the pain that you're honestly saving a life from when you reach them right from the get go. Their freshman year. Isaac is a great example of this. Remember him sharing at Chili Cook-Off, how he came to CSU to party. And then he got invited to a party by Derek, and it turned out it wasn't the party he was thinking of. <laughs> but look at how thankful Isaac is that he's part of this community. Okay? Let's, let's think like that. Like, we, we need to reach more guys and girls like Isaac. They're coming to CSU. They don't know any better. <laughs> they, all their, their idea of college is based on a movie that is completely false. Right? It's just, they have such a false perception of what college is. But... When we reach them and they get involved in our community, it just transforms their whole life. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that's all I need to say about that. So. We'll get to that. Oh, do you want me to do that? Okay. So next, next, we want to break down freshmen into two groups. We want to, we want to think through freshmen really in two categories. Uh, we're going to look at Christian freshmen and non-Christian freshmen and why you need both. Okay, why you're going to need, your small group should be a mixture of both, um, saved and unsaved. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to just go through the Christian kids and what you're looking for and things to be aware of. And then Ileana's going to talk about reaching the lost. So the Christian kids, what you need to keep in mind is that they could potentially think they're Christian and not be. Um, I'll never forget this one women's retreat. Uh, the girls were talking about lordship. This was years ago. And they had girls coming to them who had grown up in Christian backgrounds saying, I've never heard this before. Hmm. Like, I've never been taught that Jesus is Lord. Like, that, that honestly, it was like, it was brand new for them. And they're like, and I realized after women's retreat, I thought I was serving Jesus, but I realized I wasn't. And now I am. Okay? So that's, that's actually not an uncommon thing to encounter. Um, so just because someone identifies as Christian, 
uh, especially as a freshman, make sure that you don't take it for granted of where they're really at. You're going to want to really find out what their spiritual history is. You're going to want to really dig in and figure out, okay, where, where is this guy or this girl actually at? Like, where's, and a great litmus test is to ask, um, what has God been teaching you? Yeah. If, they're, if, they're, if they have nothing that God's teaching them, that's a pretty sure sign that they don't have a Devo life. And, and you're going to be able to just basically treat them as if they're not really walking with the Lord. You can, what I mean by that is just you're going to have to build from the ground up. You're going to have to start from square one. Don't make the mistake. I've seen guys do this of thinking like, oh, yeah, this, this guy, he, you know, he sold out for Jesus. And then like halfway through the semester, you find out like, oh, man, he doesn't like have any convictions at all. Like, I didn't realize it. And this whole time you were making this assumption that they were here, but they were actually here. And that affects how you do small group and how you lead small group. And so I just want to make sure that you find out where they're really at. Ask some good questions. Um, they probably, if they are walking with the Lord, and even if they're not, if they're walking with Jesus and they come from a Christian background, they, and they, let's say they've had the ideal Christian experience growing up. Like they've, they've had great Christian parents. They've had a great church that has just nurtured their faith and fostered that. <clears throat> they've probably not experienced small group the way we do it. Okay, uh, remember that. They've probably not experienced small group the way that we do it in Chi Alpha. Mm -hmm. They probably don't understand quite yet what discipleship is. And that's not critical to say that. That's just, a, that's just reality. Like, you need to realize that they, they're going to be, you can't just assume that they're going to get it on day one when you tell them, hey, come to my small group. They're going to have all sorts of ideas of what a small group is that are not really what you're going for. So that means that, that because... How, how small group might mean for that Christian kid is I just go to this thing once a week and I check that box off. Mm -hmm. But we're not about that, right? You've been here, like we've been hammering it into you over and over. The small group's not a weekly meeting. It has a weekly meeting, but it's not the weekly meeting. But small group traditionally is treated like just a weekly meeting. So, so they might, you might have this Christian kid who's only showing up to small group and literally will not spend time with you any other moment of the week. Mm. Do you know why that is? Because their idea of small group is that. They think, I'm doing it. I'm doing small group. I'm, I'm being discipled. But you're like, no, like, you need to be in my life. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm encouraging you to know this ahead of time. Don't make that assumption, okay? Understand that they, they, need, to, they need to be, ex you need to kind of hold their hand and walk them through it, okay? You need a vision cast with Christian kids what small group really is. You need to help them understand from the very beginning when you're getting to know them. Like, when you're explaining, when you're inviting them to small group, don't just say, hey, come to small group. Be able to articulate the vision for your small group and why it's going to be so different than what they've experienced before. They most likely have not known, okay, again, I'm making assumptions, but I've just found this traditionally to be the case. They most likely have not been around people their age that are on fire for Jesus. Mm -hmm. That was my case. I remember the only people I knew that were on fire for Jesus were my parents and, my, and people my parents' age. Mm -hmm. The older people in the church I looked up to and, they, and, and respected them. But people my age were just like me. We, we, just, we were yeah. flippant yeah. towards God, the things of God. We didn't care about it. So when they're going to come into our community, it's going to be shocking to see that you are of your own free will choosing to love and serve Jesus. 
and you're doing, you're on fire for God. Okay, that's going to be huge for a Christian kid to, to see that. They probably never had someone pursue them in the way that we do. And this is, the, if, if, if you just take away one thing from thinking about reaching Christian kids, it's this. You have to pursue them. Okay? Don't just think, I, I'm going to pursue these lost guys or girls, and the Christians are going to be able to just come alongside me and do it with me from the beginning. They're not. You're going to need to pursue them. Smoke needs to be a place where even if they walk with Jesus and they know Jesus, they learn what it feels like and what it means to be pursued. That is one of your number one jobs as a disciple maker in Smoker. It's to teach people what it looks like to be pursued. Okay? It's not just inviting them through a text, hey, um, you know, come to Smoker this week. That's what they're used to. Pursuit on our level is going to be getting into their life and, 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 and learning how to love them and learning how to do things in a way that just is extravagant, okay? where you are just taking care of them, taking care of their needs. They need to feel, don't thrust responsibility on Christian kids right away. Okay? That, don't do that. Don't, don't immediately say, oh, hey, would you be my armor bearer? That's not a good idea, usually. Not, in, some, in some cases it might be, but what I'm saying with this is like, they need to experience small group too. Christian kids need to experience small group just as much as, as, as lost kids. They need, they need to have that experience because how are they going to replicate what they haven't experienced? You know? And so they need to experience what it's like to be pursued before they can pursue well themselves. Um, and, and let me just give a caveat there. You can give them responsibility. I'm not saying don't give them responsibility at all. I'm just saying don't immediately think Christian... Okay, um, you know, I'm going to just challenge this, this kid like crazy. <laughs> like, be inviting and loving towards the Christian kids as you are towards the lost ones. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, <clears throat> they are necessary for building community. So, a lot of times what happens at CSU is we find that the Christian community, students who have a Christian heritage, are fewer and fewer every year. Mm-hmm. It's getting harder and harder to meet students with a Christian background. Uh, in my freshman year, it was relatively easy, I would say. Uh, today, la- this last year, we were almost pulling teeth to find them. Like We were having to think of and invent new ways to find Christian students. Okay? Now, they're worth finding, though they may be getting rarer and rarer. They are absolutely essential to a healthy small group. I really believe this. I'm convinced of this. You cannot have a small group of all lost students and, and, and actually really see any fundamental change in them. Okay? I've, just, I've seen so many small group leaders that they, they just, it's because you're going to, 95% of campus is lost, statistically. Just 95%. I mean, to build a small group of, of just lost students is not hard. You can do that. Everyone, every one of you can do that. But to find that those Christian students and to really have them be invested and bought into your small group is worthwhile because when you are wanting to see lost students come to faith in Christ, you're going to need a community of belief. Mm-hmm. Your small group is going to have to be in favor of Jesus by a majority, if not by a close majority. Okay. What I mean by that is like, uh, 
so a small group that really is effective at winning lost students to Jesus, there's going to be probably two to three Christians in that small group, and maybe two to three lost okay, that are regularly part of it. And so the because if you are in small group and you're and you're you're trying to lead a group of people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus, and and let's say you're in the small group meeting, you're having a discussion. If the majority opinion is dissenting and against Christ, and we're one voice is the only voice speaking in favor of Jesus, it's a lot harder to change someone's mind in that situation. If you are in a community where uh, you've got two or three Christian students that are with you, and they, lo- they love Jesus, and you're talking, and you're having discussion, and they're giving their opinion, so it's not just your voice, but it's theirs as well, that's so much more convincing to the skeptic or to the student who's lost that there's something to this. Okay, And so we see that um, a lot of times that the students that are saved in small group communities are, it's when those communities are a majority Christian. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, okay, so why, let me, let me keep going into why you need them. Um, so you need a majority. God expects these Christian students to obey what they know. And you're doing the most loving thing for them and getting them to walk obediently with God. So that means them investing in your small group. You know? It's a good question to ask uh, a Christian student that you meet. Um, are, you, are you learning how to make disciples? Right. And, and, and challenging them to see that in Scripture, we're all commanded to make disciples. And so that challenge of like, hey, you need to be investing in community. You need, to be, you need to be doing this yourself. You can't just sit in, in an auditorium and, and watch someone else do this. But Jesus has commanded you specifically to do it. Are you doing it? And if not, I want to help you do it. I want to help you obey what God has commanded you to do. That's why Christian students, they need your small group. They need you as much as you need them. Next, God has invested a great deal in Christian students already. If you just think about the, the amount that has been invested in their lives by their parents, by their, by their church, by other Christian members of their household, God has poured so much into those students' lives. Mm-hmm. The heritage they have is not nothing. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not worthless. Like God has a plan for that to be used for his kingdom, for his glory. And finally, Christian kids are really, it, what, the way I typically see transformation happening in discipleship is Christian kids get it first, and then lost kids after. And we see this pattern, if you study revival in history, you'll see that every time there's a revival, it always begins with the church. God gets the church right, he, he, he cleans up the church, gets it purified, gets it on fire again, and then, and then the world is reached. It never, almost never happens the other way around. It never happens where God goes over the head of the church and reaches those people out here and, and like bypasses the church. He doesn't do that. So these Christian students, God is greatly invested in their lives. He, he cares greatly about them, and he is wanting them to be on fire for the, with the things that they know because he, he wants us to be responsible 
with the things that we know. He wants them to live up to the things that they know so then he can reach the loss through them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what you'll typically see happen um, is uh, in, in a small group where there is transformation. I, I think about uh, our first year at Outpost, we had this guy, Chris Hewitt. You've probably heard about him. Okay? Chris Hewitt was in a small group where predominantly the, the majority of the small group were Christian students or students with Christian backgrounds who were really getting right with Jesus for the first time that semester. So they were just getting on fire for God. This revival was taking place in them, and then Chris Hewitt was reached. Okay, that's the way, that pattern is almost always how it ends up working. So you need to look for your Christian kids, you need to win them, pursue them, pursue them well, get them bought in your small group, and, and seek transformation in their lives first, and then you'll start to see it happen in others. Um, so, yes, let's go to the next one, yeah, so last question, um, yeah, so many reasons you need to have lost freshmen, um, so many times I see, um, these lost students that we meet are actually so much more closer to knowing Jesus than you might think, um, I, Think about um, this girl, Katie Kam, who is from, she's from Hawaii. She's was in our ministry a, few, a, a while ago now, like maybe five years ago. Um, but she, um, someone just approached her on campus. This was before we met her, first week of school. Someone approached her on campus and um, was like, hey, if you die tonight, are you going to go to heaven or hell? Ooh. Like, they just asked her that. And she was like, I don't know. And then that whole night, she was just thinking about that question, like, what am I going to do? Like, if, what would I do? Like, I have never thought about this before. And then the next day after that, one of our small group leaders met her. Mm. And we were able to walk through with her. And she came into the Lord, got decided, became a small group leader, um, a fruitful one, because Jennifer Talley is here because of her. And so, um, you know, thank you, Jesus, that, you know, we found her and we didn't just... I don't know, write her off because she was this liberal Hawaiian. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, thank you, thank you, Lord, that, you know, she was, like, ready for it. And, um, you know, another thing I think about this year, you know, Hannah Hendrickson has this girl in her small group that um, she met Welcome Week, and she was a really nice girl and definitely did not know anything about Jesus or Christianity, did not come from a church at all, very removed from anything Christian. And, um, she, um, you know, hung out with us, like, the first day. We took her to a party, and she was kind of bummed that it wasn't any alcohol. And then <laughs> we didn't see her for a few days. And then I think it was, like, maybe a week later, this girl texts Hannah and is like, hey, I am so depressed, and I am, I am thinking about suicide, and you're the only girl I've met that is actually nice to me right now. And... And so Hannah was like, okay. And so, you know, <laughs> Hannah picks her up, and they, like, talk for a long time. And now, even today, she's still in Hannah's small group. And the Lord is pursuing her and doing so much in her life and has changed so much. And the depression is gone, and it's just incredible. So, I mean, just don't write anyone off in your mind, yeah. you know. Don't think, like, oh, you know, they're all in black. You know, I think about, like, okay, so, yeah, we were at door move-ins one time, and I was with Julie, who was an old small group leader, and I remember there were these two cars that were parked next to each other. One of them had like a cross on the car, 
So you're like, oh, maybe they're Christians. And then there's this other family, and the girl was like piercings, like had a wolf shirt, and she looked pretty cool. And uh, I saw Julie was like, oh, let's go talk to that girl, the girl with, you know, that obviously is from a Christian family. And uh, I was like, no, let's go talk to that girl. <laughs> that girl right there, because she looks awesome. <laughs> and her in, and she went to Julie's mom. Anyways, so just like you know, yeah, keep your keep your heart open, keep your eyes open. Don't like judge a book by its cover. You know, like let God um, yeah. do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, let let God um, have His way in your small group. And look, I want it to be filled with people that are not just what you want, but what He wants. You know, for you. You know, it's a great way to teach you. <laughs> um, yes, they need small group just as much as Christians do. Um, you know, I was lost when I got into a small group, and I, like, loved it. It was, like, the greatest time of my life, even before I knew about the Lord, because it was just so fun. You know, all these girls were so awesome, and I just, like, loved spending time with them. They, I, I had these other group of friends that were just so opposite of them, and so, you know, I would get so drained and, like, you know, really discouraged from this group that was really critical, and then I would come to this group, and I just felt like I was just constantly loved. Like, I felt like I was just constantly in a cuddle, you know? <laughs> I love a cuddle. And, you know, it was just, like, wonderful. And I, like, I just loved it. And it was, it, there was true joy, you know? And, and you know, lost people can see joy, you know? They yeah, really can. They can see it in your life. So when we are living our life with joy and, and love and, you know, I mean, all of the fruit of the Spirit, you know, when we are living that way, it is attractive to the lost. It is. Because they don't get that from other people, you know? And, um, you know, the sweet uh, family, you know, that we, that sense of family that we get in a small group, you know, um, that is so desirable for anyone. You know, we all long for community. We all long for friendships and for family. And it's awesome because small group provides all these things that that any person really wants deep down. You know, no matter how they see, they they want it. Um, and so small group is great for them. Um, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of these lost people have um, never been loved the way that um, we know how to love. You know, I, I, and it's more and more common, you know, the more and more freshmen that we're meeting come from just such broken homes, you know, um, really dysfunctional homes, you know, with um, a, just a messy family, you know, siblings, parents, you know, just are not on good terms, and there's just tension in the family, and um, and they might not be receiving like real unconditional selfless love in their home, and so they're coming to college, getting away from that, thinking, okay, I'm I'm free from that, but we are here to receive them and to show them what true love really is and how to truly love them with Christ's love. And, um, you know, we say this all the time, um, something must be loved before it becomes lovable, you know. And so we must, if we want these hard people who are hard-hearted or difficult sometimes to be lovable, like, we have to love them first. And so we need to show that um, in our small group. Um, 
So um, I just want you guys to think about the incredible investment you are making in lost freshmen. I mean, just dream about it. Like the fact that they could be a part of your small group. You and the other girls in your small group are going to walk alongside them, show them what, who Jesus really is, and through that, they could come to faith, and then through that faith, mm. they could learn how to disciple, and through that, they can become leaders and be an LTC next year here, you yeah. know, and um, through that, they can reach other people. Like, how exciting is Whoa. that? Yeah. If you were, like, a part of that, yeah. if you were, a, yeah. if God used you to be that huge part in this story that, that God has made for them, you know, um, and so they, and I just see this a lot, like these um, leaders that we have that have huge transformations like yeah. that, go from zero to 100, you know, these, these people that do that, they bear so much fruit, you know, they really do, because yeah. they, their convictions are fresh, you know, Jesus is so fresh to them, so exciting, um, you know, they're so passionate you know, they're, they're willing to do anything for the Lord because the Lord has given them life and they've tasted the joy of salvation for the first time, you know. And so it's it's awesome to, to build someone up from nothing into, you know, a follower of Jesus. It's it's the most incredible thing to witness. It, it is the biggest joy, I, one of the biggest joys I've ever experienced, you know, walking with someone and, and seeing them come to the Lord. And so dream about that and like believe that that can happen. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think about the verse: uh, those who have been forgiven much, love much, also. Yeah. And so when we when we see a student, you know, you guys remember Janik? We came and spoke at missions night. He was sharing his testimony, just you know, drug drug addict, you know, involved in, in one of the top fraternities of his college, just so far from Christ. When when Jesus intervened in Janik's life. The transformation was so powerful. To this day, Josh is one of the most effective disciple makers I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And it's like Paul says. It's, it's, it's Paul says I work harder than all the rest of the apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. It's that idea. Like the grace is so powerful in transforming lives from from like people who are really lost to to following Jesus. That transformation is so powerful. They just become so fruitful <laughs> and so like you want to win those people you want you want to see them yeah. come across yeah. um, another reason why you um, yeah why we should love lost freshmen is um, you know they should worship Jesus <laughs> they should uh, because God has a right on their lives you know, God um, created them <laughs> You know, God has made them in his image. Um, God, Jesus has died for them on the cross. And so, therefore, um, God does have that right on their lives. You know, and so I know it's really um, intimidating sometimes to be like, okay, I'm going to share God because it'll help them in life. Like, yes, that is true. It does, you know, knowing Jesus helps. But there's so much more to that. Like, Jesus, um, you know, has been pursuing them. Jesus has been trying to reveal yes. himself yeah. to these yeah. freshmen. And um, and Jesus wants them to be reconciled back to mm-hmm. him. That's mm-hmm. what he wants. And because we love Jesus, because we are leaders and followers of Jesus, we should want that for God's heart, for God's sake. You know, yeah. Yeah. God... Mm-hmm. 
you know, weeps over our campus every day, you know, and we need to um, have that heart as well. We need to break for what breaks God's heart, you know, and so when we see these freshmen, let's just, you know, in our hearts just be like, Jesus, like, you know, you, they deserve, or you deserve their life. You deserve their life. Let that just be like that moaning in our heart yeah. when we're meeting these lost freshmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, we said this, I said this uh, when I taught last LCC, but have to belong before they believe, which is small group. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you don't see anything right away, sometimes it just takes time and yes. they just have to belong yes. in a small group. And let them, you know, have that time, you know, of just enjoying small group, enjoying belonging to your, your the friendships that you have in small group and the community that you have. Um, let them belong and let show them that they are valuable to the group. Yeah. You know, even if they're not a Christian, like your presence here and, and the the place that you have in this group is critical, you know, and is so valuable to us. You know, we want you here every week. You know, affirm that, that they belong, that they belong. Um, yeah, these were the group that Jesus loved, you know. He hung out with sinners, and so um, we should be that example. Um... Okay. Um, can I switch this um, yeah, so why we need to reach them in your, why you need them in your small group. Um, a small group of only Christians will not be effective in reaching the boss. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. You know, we are not here to be just a Christian club. You know, we, that's not an outpost at all. Um, and I'm sure you guys know that, but, um, you know, how impactful will it be, not only for your walk with God, but for these other Christians in your group, to see you pouring into unbeliever, to see you spending your time with them, to see you pouring in, and really, truly discipling these people, um, it, I'm sh- you know, it'll be incredible for these Christians to see that, um, you love the lost, you know, that you love these people, um, you know, that are are struggling and trying to figure out what they believe. Um, it'll be such a testimony to these Christians. Um, yeah, and that's kind of the next point. They will challenge everyone in your small group to know what they know. Um, yes. Yeah, and another point, um, lost freshmen are the only group of lost people that will most likely attend small group. Um, it's a critical season that they will never have again in their lives to be reached. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, these, these lost freshmen, you know, they're, they're looking for friends, they're looking for community, they're looking for all these things that small group has to offer. And so, you know, and this is like this short season, you know, where they're open to coming to something like your small group where you talk about the Lord, you know. And it's hard because the more time goes by, it's like the narrower and narrower this door gets, you know. And so that's why it's so important. Like, do not be afraid. You know, oh, they don't seem like they're Christians, so maybe I'll wait a while to invite them to small group. No, like, mm-hmm. you know, small group is so much more than a Bible study. You know, it's it's friendship. It's it's being there for one another. It's relying on one another. And 
And um, those are all things that they, they want deep down. Yeah. And so don't hide that. And don't be ashamed of that at all, of, of like small group. Don't, don't hide um, small group, that you're a small group leader, like it's that white elephant in the room, you know. It's okay to, to share like, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus and I have this group, you know, and we um, all are, you know, trying to seek truth together and we're all relying on each other and pursuing Christ together. And, you know, it's for, um, you know, Christians and non-Christians. And so, you know, you are so welcome to come, you know, like we'd love to have you, you know. Uh, it, like make sure that they know that they have a, they have a place in it. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. That's it. Cool. So now we want to just move on to the third group that we want to talk about: how to strategically reach. And we don't have a lot of time, but we want to just talk about XAI. So reaching international students. Um, XAI stands for Chi Alpha International. <laughs> if you catch that. Um, and, and part of our, our national vision for Chi Alpha, just as a movement, is, is that every student welcomes. Um, so there's every student gives, every student prays, every student goes, and then every student welcomes. We welcome the foreigner. And, and this is something that we just want to encourage you all to do, uh, to, uh, to, to, to practice in small group. Um, it's good to have uh, international friends. Mm-hmm. We want you to, to really pursue that and think about that. Um, there are three demographics on campus that you want to, that it's just incredible that we have the opportunity to reach right here in our home home. Um, that is China, um, India, and, and the Muslims. So we'll say uh, anyone from a, a background in Islam, including Middle East, predominantly Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, uh, but as well as uh, we, have, we have Muslims from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Islam is the second largest religion in the world. And so we just, we just have this incredible opportunity to reach these three huge demographics, right? There's so many Chinese people in the world. <laughs> so many of them are here at CSU. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Dylan knows that. <laughs> yeah, he Dylan's reaching Chinese students and has been effective in God using him yeah. with that demographic this year. Um, so we, we just want to encourage you to think uh, missionally while you're here at CSU. You know, missions that does not have to be confined to our two-week trips in the summer. Having a heart for missions is, is a lifestyle that you can practice in small group. Okay. Um, so why is it strategic to reach international students? Muslims, the Muslims that you meet on campus, most likely have never met a Christian, <laughs> have never met an authentic follower of Christ until now. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they think that, that they equate our culture in America with Christianity. So they, they have some preconceived notions about Christianity that are completely false. But they've likely never met an authentic follower of Jesus that loves Jesus. God has brought them, get this, God has brought them to CSU so they can know Him. They're not here at CSU just to get a degree. They're not here just to um, you know, experience America. They're here so that Jesus can reach them. Yeah. I want you to think with that mentality. They want to be in your small groups. Okay? That more often than not, in our students want to be part of a small group. They, so don't think in terms necessarily of like, I, I need to do a separate small group for international students. Although there, there can be a time and place for that, I want you to think more in terms of, I just want an international friend who's part of the group, who really feels like they're at home with my small group. 
I want you, when you meet international students, and this is so good, that the leader of, of XAI nationally, this is what he challenged us to do at World Mission Summit. He said, when you meet an international student, think about their future as not just a follower of Jesus, but think about them going through LTC. Think about them becoming a smaller group. Think about them joining staff at CSU. Think about them being part of a pioneering effort with Chi Alpha on another campus. When you meet them, you should be thinking that way towards them. We think that way towards American students, but for some reason we have this, this mental block where we, when we meet an international student, we think the only thing that's possible is maybe we'll have a good friendship and that's it. But I want to challenge you to think, what if this student that I'm meeting right now was on staff one day, full-time in ministry, campus ministry? The, there are international students today who are in full-time ministry because someone who met them had that thought. Okay. God's heart is for the whole world, so just practically you can't have a heart for the world if you don't have a heart for the world right here. Okay. That's just real practical. You know, if we talk about being missional, being missions-minded, it's, it's hard to, you can't compartmentalize that. You should have a missional heart right here at CSU, and that missional heart should lead you and drive you to want to meet international students. There's no better way to disciple a heart for the world into your small group than to have a small group member be an international student. Okay. When your students, when you want to, you want to, because think about this, you're going to be discipling your small group. Your small group is going to learn from you how to follow Jesus as you're following Jesus. So it's strategic to reach an international student because you're going to model to them what it looks like to reach the world right in small group. You're going to show them that small group can reach a Muslim. And they're going to get to interact with a Muslim probably for the first time in their life. Uh, that can be intimidating for people. People can find that scary to uh, be around uh, international students or foreigners. But if you can be inviting and welcoming, that's going to be discipled into your small group. I've seen this. Uh, the, the, the small group leaders who reach international students were in small groups with international students. That's just always the case. So if you want to disciple that heart for the world in your small group, it's so healthy and good to reach international students in small group. And in order to reach these demographics, this is really cool. In order to reach an international student, there's no separate track to doing it. In fact, small group is the best way to reach them. <laughs> the way we do small group discipleship, relational discipleship, is the best way to reach international students. It's not like, okay, I have my international friend and I need to come up with like a separate plan for him or her and then I have my small group over here see because then we're compartmentalizing things we're getting back into the mindset that small groups just a meeting and it's just like I've got these separate entities in my life don't think that way you need to think more holistically they're being invited into your life you're discipling them out of your your, your love life with Jesus and you're pouring into them so so that means that that you should, you should be reaching international students through small group. They will never come to faith in Christ without a Christian friendship. Okay. And I encourage you all to um, read a book. Uh, it's called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Yeah, um, and it is a story about how a small group leader, essentially, 
he wasn't officially a smoker for years, but uh, this American student befriended a Muslim, Nabil, and led Nabil to Christ through their friendship, through their relationship. And it's exactly the pattern that we have in mind for you all. Yeah. Like, this is exactly how it would look in your life to lead an international student to Christ. So I just encourage you all to read this book. It's good. It's by Nabil Qureshi. So the, uh, how do you spell that? Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. If yeah. you just look at the title, you'll find it. Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It's on audiobook too, and Nabil reads it. So it's really powerful for him to read the whole story from his own perspective. Yeah, finally, the, honestly, this is one of the easiest groups on campus to initially make a friendship with. Yeah. Uh, can be difficult to maintain that friendship. Um, and that's something that will walk you through. XAI is not just like this idea that we're just planting your vines and we're just, okay, go do it. Like, like Eric Sanquist is going to be overseeing this next year, and we're going to be doing things to help facilitate this and help empower you to do this. But we want you to think about strategically reaching international students in the beginning of the school year. Okay. And here's just a few practical steps of how, just real quick. You might want to skip a few. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to go through how you can do this, um, just practical ways. Um, so there are like certain, um, yeah, let me go through like kind of some steps really quick. So find one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> find one. <laughs> there are certain places campus that are really awesome to meet um, international students. We have the I House, um, and every Friday, um, they do like a Friday afternoon club, I think at like 6, and it's like a potluck, and it's a great way to meet, um, you know, international students who are, they congregate there, and um, also there's this place called Into Cafe, and so any international student who doesn't have great English, like doesn't pass the English test, they have to do a year with the Into program before they can start their degree. So um, they have their own building, it's an Alder Hall, and it's on Laurel and College, like on that corner area. Like, I don't know how to yeah, explain yeah. it. Yeah, just south. Yeah, yeah, over there. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's awesome because they have like a little cafe in the building, and a lot of international students hang out there in between their classes. And um, it's a great, great place to meet freshmen who just got there because uh, they're all, yeah, they all are fresh, freshmen, fresh. So, um, they, they're all at Itchy Cafe, so you can go there and meet them. Um, also, they do, um, like, they have conversation partners there, and they do, you know, yeah, that once a week or twice a week. And so you can also sign up for that and maybe do that at Into. Um, that would be also a great way to meet them. Um, yes, and then um, start, you know, it's this is like small group, you know, start meeting with them individually, you know, start hanging out with them, spending time with them. Invite them to the fun events we do, you know. They, for them, it's quite the experience to see flaming tennis balls, you know. And so um, don't be afraid to um, invite them to, into your life yeah. and with other um, you know, your other friends that you're meeting. Like, it's so good to have them around. Um, and yeah, and invite them to small group. You know, uh, a lot of times large group can be kind of intimidating at first because it's a lot of people and a lot of English and yeah. a lot of words that they might not be familiar with. 
And so um, a small group is a great like first step, you know, into our ministry, you know, um, because you can take it slow if you need to. You can have someone, you know, help talk slower, you know, and and it's just such a good way to, um, yeah, to really talk to them about the word. Um, yeah, find out ways to serve them. You know, they have so many needs. They don't know. They never have. A lot of them don't have cars. Um, they have no idea how. Um, to find furniture, we you know we meet sometimes like international students who have no furniture in their house because they have no idea how to get furniture. Yeah, or no ability to. Or the ability to, yeah. And so you know, like yeah. a couple of years ago, we like got some couches from Craigslist and like drove them around and like moved you know moved them into like so in a guy's place mm-hmm. and it'll probably never be able to come out of that door. Yeah, you're gonna put it in this window. Fit <laughs> <laughs> in the doorway so they're probably never couch they had a couch. <laughs> you know, um, University Village is another great way. It's a firehouse on Sea Park. Um, you know, they sometimes don't have like more than one fork. You know, and it's like, wow, you know, you can use two forks. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like find ways. You know, to them. You know, sometimes there are moms with kids, and they all they do is stay home and have no friends. You know, like yeah. be their friend. Yeah. Hang out with their kids. Yeah. You know, love their kids. Um, you know, that that can be such a ministry for them. Um, yes, um, yeah, I think that's it. Okay, awesome. So we're going to take a break, um, the next 10 minutes, and uh, we'll play a game right now, uh, but if you also need to just use the bathroom or whatever, go ahead and feel free to do that. Um, so we're going to, let's play WA. You all know how to play WA? Or, Ellie has an idea. No, no, I watched it. Huh? You have a question? No, Danny has a question. Danny has a question, sorry. <laughs> No, it's just a comment. I um, This semester I got involved with this thing called Ram Conversations Club. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys know what that is. I don't. But what you do is you fill out a form, like your name, your gender, like what um, you're interested in, you, what languages you know, um, and then you send it in. Wow. And they pair you up with an international student. That's awesome. And actually I got paired with two because of their roommates. So I actually, wow. I've been bringing them to, or I brought them to one small group. That's awesome. They haven't awesome. been available, but so I also took them to go see them. What's that movie called? It's about. I can only imagine. I took them to see that movie, and they like, it was, it was amazing. Just like seeing that because they, we we were all crying. Everyone in the theater was crying. The lady next to me was like sobbing, and I was like, Oh God, do you need help? She she literally was like, But afterwards, they like asked me, they're like, Is that something that's like really important in your religion? I'm like, No, that's just something God does. and they just like we're so like wow and they they keep asking me questions but doing that like it's like you're paired with someone that already has interests the same as you and also international students are so hungry to learn about like the culture here and they're like so hungry to just um like soak everything up basically and they're always willing to or most of the time they're always willing to just hang out with you because that's that's what we have conversations club is they signed up for that so that they could have someone to hang out with yeah that's good so that's awesome. i'll send you guys that yes. cool. yes, yeah that's yeah yeah that's that's awesome. cool. yeah thanks Dave. cool Whoa. okay so we're gonna get started with our next session the weekly meeting how to do the weekly meeting um, just really practical 
Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Wide noise for a little bit. So, we're going to look at the content that you're going to want to have in your weekly meeting. We're going to look at how to do the weekly meeting. Um, the just everything from the theory of it to the practical. Okay, So, we're going to just really get into this. Um, first of all, we need to define what is the purpose of the weekly meeting. Actually, what is the purpose of small group? And it's important that we know that in order to define how your weekly meeting is going to look. Because based on the purpose of small group, that's going to really define how you have a weekly meeting. So we say that, that small group is a, it's a, it's a community of guys or girls who are leaning on one another in their pursuit of Christ. To lean on one another in your pursuit of Christ. So you're inviting others to come and learn how to follow Jesus with you rather than you teaching them about Jesus. So, so the difference there is, is you're inviting people into your relationship with God as you're learning how to follow Jesus. And that's a lot less intimidating than saying, I'm going to teach you all that you need to know about Jesus. Because you don't have everything figured out yet. And so it's really, a, it's, you can take a deep breath and kind of relax knowing that you know, what you're going to be responsible for is inviting people into your life. You're not responsible for being this wise master uh, sage, you know, that's going to, uh, that's going to, <laughs> Dylan, Dylan gets me, that's going to, um, you know, be able to explain all the mysteries of the Bible. <laughs> um, that you're going to have things that you just don't know, and that's okay, and, and it's good, and, and you're going to invite people to discover who God is with you. Okay. And so, for this reason, we really do not want you to think of small group, the small group meeting as a Bible study. We really want to get away from having a Bible study. We don't want to um, portray it in that aspect at all. Why would we say we don't want you to have a Bible study? First of all, who who is attracted to a Bible study? Christians. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And who's not? Everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Everybody else is really not attracted to that. And even if you are a Christian and you attend a Bible study, I've been in some Bible studies that I just wish I was not there. Okay. And that's just not how we do small group. That's not how you're going to have the weekly meeting. And that's why we're not going to have it be a Bible study. Okay. So I want to really hammer this idea during this hour. I want you to take away this one point that you are getting people not to just learn how to study the Bible, but to live the Bible. Small group is about living the Bible. It's about inviting people to do this stuff, not just read about it. That's the huge difference. That's what small group is. So we're leaning on one another in our pursuit of Christ. And we are going to use the Bible. Don't get me wrong. Okay, don't hear me saying you don't need the Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully by the end of this session convince you you're going to need to know the Bible better than ever. But I'm, I'm not telling you to just have a meeting where you get together and you say, okay, let's open to John chapter 5 and we'll... Okay, uh, Jacob, would you read the passage for us? Okay, what? any thoughts about that passage? And then, okay, that's great. Have a great week. Hmm. No, that's, that's not what the weekly meeting is going to look like. It's going to be very dynamic. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be transformational. And, and I want to reiterate the fact that not having it be a Bible study is a key part of reaching the lost. That's a, that's a reason why we do it. It's just it's 
it's, it's a reflection of how we need to be effective. <coughs> a, a lost person would not come to a Bible study, but they will come to smuggle. And if you do smoke up the way that I'm going to explain to you, if, I, if you do the weekly meeting in the way I'm going to explain to you, they will actually come to the weekly meeting consistently. And you can expect that. You can expect lost people to come consistently to your weekly meeting if it's done in the way that I'm going to explain how. Okay? And just like support raising, if any of you have gone through our support raising training, we give you some very practical steps. We give you our best wisdom of how to do this. And we say, if you trust the way that we tell you how to do it, it will work. But if you go off and do your own thing, I can't guarantee that. And it's the same thing with what I'm sharing with you today. If you just trust me and trust the outposts and trust the way that we've been doing this and figured out how to do this, it will work. It will work. This will lead to transformation. Your weekly meetings will be the most exciting times of the week if you apply some of these principles I'm going to lay out for you. So I want to start by asking this question, how do we lean on one another in a weekly meeting? The first thing, first thing that you're going to need to understand about the weekly meeting is it needs to be oriented around discussion. Okay? Very, very heavy on discussion. You will not necessarily be the main instrument that God uses in the small group meeting. Mm -hmm. You will not be the, necessarily, there will be weeks that is the case, but for the most part, you are not the primary instrument. The best meetings that I've had, the best small group meetings I've had, were ones in which uh, I personally spoke the least. Because the community, the small group, was so engaged with one another and the topic that they were, they were, uh, they were learning. And it wasn't just me teaching them in a lecture style. It was them discovering together this truth. And that, those small groups, you leave changed. I mean, I, I, re, I remember some of the best small groups were just simply sparked by a good question. And those are what we're going to aim for. Discussion creates true buy-in in the group. Okay? Discussion creates true buy-in. How many of you would want to be part of something where your voice doesn't really matter? No. That's, that's, that's how people are going to feel when they come to small group. They're going to think, especially if, if, if it's a lost person and, and they're finally trying it for the first time, they're going to think, I have nothing to say. I'm not a Christian. That's what most people think. I, you know, what would I contribute to this group? They're not necessarily going to want to be there. But when you have a discussion-oriented meeting, that means that everyone's voice matters. That means everything they have to contribute is important. You want to hear from it every viewpoint. That means disagreement, we're going to look at disagreement and conflict, is not bad. And in fact, it's good and healthy, and you want it. So this means, this is the only model really where you're going to have those lost freshmen and those Christian freshmen together learning. <laughs> you might get away with teaching Christian freshmen in a lecture-style meeting. Lost people are going to show up once and never come back. Right? They're going to need to know that what they say and contribute matters. And discussion will accomplish that. How many lectures do you sit through on, on an average week? You know, think about this. You've got your classes, multiple classes each day. I would say, I would argue large group and church on Sunday morning is a lecture. Okay, 
So you've got all these lectures being, you're, you're, sitting, you're just sitting there absorbing all this information, information, information. What are you doing with all that information? It's, a lot of it's just going in one ear and out the other, to be honest. And then when you have to take a test, you're like, oh, what was that? <laughs> Let me look that back up again. You know, because you're, you're on information overload. And it's, it's just unfortunate that this is how our society thinks learning is. And we model and gear it always around this lecture format. And look, we're even doing it today. Yeah. That's not necessarily the best way people learn. And small group is so exciting. Small group meeting is so exciting because it gets people doing the stuff rather than just hearing about it. Right? That's where the Bible gets exciting. I tell people that all the time when we go speak at Christian high schools and we speak to these students that think that they know everything. The thing that we tell them is, look, you are not going to be excited about following Jesus until you're living this stuff. Until the book of Acts is your experience, not just something that you read about. Okay? And we want smarter to be like that. Jesus, this is awesome, Jesus asked in the Gospels 225 questions and a lot of them did not, he didn't answer. He was the greatest question asker of all time. And so I want you to think, when you're preparing for a small group meeting, you need to be thinking of the best questions to ask, not necessarily the best information to relate. Does that make sense? You need to be a great question asker. You need to learn how to ask provocative questions, questions that provoke deep thought. You want to get your small group to think. How often do we, are we challenged to really think deeply about subjects in our lives? Very seldom. Very seldom about Christianity and about Jesus and about the gospel. We're very seldomly challenged to just think about it. But that's what you're going to be doing in your small group meeting. Jesus asked questions like, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? Or he asked, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? You see, over and over, I mean, if you just read the Gospels looking, like, underline every question Jesus asks, you will be amazed at almost exclusively what he says are questions. <laughs> if Jesus knew that that was the best way to lead people into the truth, then I think it behooves us to follow his example. So you're not just trying to facilitate discussion between yourself and the group. Okay? It's, not, it's not that you're here and, you know, you've got your group out here. And, and you're like, so we're not doing the lecture style, but also in discussion we can get into this problem of you're dominating the discussion. And we don't want that to happen. So how, how do you do this? How do you facilitate discussion in small group? Here's practicals. Number one, do not fill silence with your opinions. Okay? Don't take silence as, as the worst thing in the world. It may feel like that in the moment. You throw out a question, and everyone's just sitting there, you know. It's like, okay, moving on. You know, it's like, you want, your tendency, natural tendency is to want to fill that space and be like, okay, let me explain the answer to the question I just asked. But that defeats the point of asking the question. You need to understand um, how, to, how to ask questions and then just wait. If people don't understand your question, it's better to rephrase it than move on. Okay, so if you ask a question, and it's, you know, maybe it went over their heads and they, they didn't quite grasp where you're going with it. It's better to rephrase the question than to move on. Secondly, ask good follow-up questions which invite group participation. Because really your goal is you want them interacting with one another. And so how you're going to do that is you're going to say, okay, John, 
Uh, thanks for your input. Let's say John answered your question. Thanks for your input. Does, what, is, what do other people think about John's idea? Right there, you have, you have kept the discussion in their court. Okay? Rather than saying, you know, your opinion on it, try to think, how can I get them to interact with one another? That's really going to be your goal with discussion. How can I get them to lean on one another? Because their goal is not just they all lean on you and that's it. You want them to lean on one another. Uh, so here's another way you can do that. You can rephrase the question. That's another good way to continue getting them to, to think off one another. You can say, can you say more about that? You know, if, if John has just answered the question and he's given a brief response, can, can you say more about that? Can you elaborate on that? Um, ask for clarification. So you're saying that dot, dot, dot. If I'm understanding you correctly, is this, is this what you're trying to say? Uh, and then you can summarize that portion of the discussion. You can say, okay, so, it, it, we, so far we've come to the conclusion that um, Jesus is asking us to, to uh, be more generous in our lives. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So those are just some practical ways you can continue to keep the discussion engaged with the, the group. Realize, three, realize you are more of a referee trying to keep the discussion alive than a teacher trying to teach. Okay. You're more of a referee. You're calling fouls. <laughs> you know, if, 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 if it's going down a rabbit trail and you're, it's going a direction you don't want it to go, as so often can happen in smuggled meetings, you're calling it back to the main point. So you're going to say, hey, time out. Let's get back to, I don't even know where we're at now. <laughs> how do we even end up here? You know, it's like so many times I'd have smuggled meetings and be like, how do we even like, arrive at where we're at now? <laughs> You, you, want to, you do want to bring it back to a point. You do, want to, you do want to kind of corral the conversation. Sometimes it's good to let it run, but use your discretion. Um, you're the referee. You get to make that call. Uh, <clears throat> you're trying to keep discussion alive, so you want to encourage conflict. Okay? Here's, here's, the, here's the kicker. <laughs> we, think that, we think intuitively conflict is bad, and we like it when everyone in the group agrees with one another, but that's not reflective of what people are really thinking. You know, you can, ha you can grow up with a, uh, with a dad who has very strong opinions. Let's say your dad just thinks Trump is awesome, and he does not care if you disagree with that. You're going to think Trump is awesome. <laughs> and he creates this environment where if you disagree with your dad, he's going he's gonna to debate you until you agree with him, until he wins the argument. That's going to create and foster an environment in your home where you just, it's not like you start agreeing with your dad, you just keep your disagreements in here. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's not healthy. What you want to do in your small group is you want, you, want to, you want to say, hey, this is a place where ideas are to be challenged. How like, mind-blowing I think that would be to our general student body if they went into a small group meeting and you said, this is a place where we are willing to challenge and wrestle with truth. They think that we just want to stuff truth down their throats. They think that we've had it stuffed down our throats and we haven't thought two seconds about it and that we're going to do the same thing to them. But if they come into a small group meeting where it's like we are debating the truth of this, we're going to see. If this thing is true, I want to know it's true. And I want to test it against every opposing viewpoint that there is. I want to, I want to bounce this idea off of completely conflicting viewpoints and see which one is really true. Because I'm not, I'm not insecure about the truth. And I just want to encourage you all as small group leaders, don't be insecure about the truth. The truth will win. That's right. The truth will always win out. 
over the lies. It will. Okay, so you don't have to be scared of dissenting viewpoints or skeptics or people that have completely wacky ideas about God, because we've all had wacky ideas about God. Don't be afraid of that. In fact, you want to foster an environment where that actually happens. Okay, so debate is good and needful if respectful. That's really the key. It's got to stay respectful. So remember, you're the ref. If you feel like there's a personal attack beginning to happen, uh, if someone's being belittled, you've got to call timeout. You've got to stop that. Okay. And if someone, you need to create an environment in the small group meeting where if someone feels like they're being personally attacked, they can say so, and, and you, can, you can address it right then and there. Okay. But you want to create an environment, and it, it, might, it may take a few meetings uh, of, of like laying out your vision for what is going to take place to get people to begin opening up. What will happen early on in the year is people will tend to naturally agree with one another on the surface because they won't know each other very well. But if you're pursuing your small group members and they're living life with you and they're living life together and getting to know one another, you're going to start to see what they really think, and that's good. Yeah. So conflict is really a sign of health in your small group meeting and your small group in general. It's really going to be a sign that, that you're getting to know one another and you're trusting one another. And we'll talk about trust next in, in a little bit. Maintain that the goal of each meeting is to arrive at truth, therefore no idea is off limits and disagreement is not wrong. Yeah. That's really what you've got to, you've got to just, even just so far as say that out loud. And it's going to take some time to build and facilitate that kind of environment, but it's worth it. It's so worth it if you can get there. I, my best year of slow group leading here at CSU, um, we, had, we had students that came and um, completely disagreed with like, a lot of what I said in small group. And it was good. <laughs> It was so good. It fostered this environment where everyone felt safe to share their opinions if they didn't agree with me as a leader and if they didn't agree with one another. And we always left small group feeling close and, and we, we left in this environment where it was loving. It was done in a way that was secure. It was safe. Okay, And we're going to talk about some practicals to how to make that happen. Um, but you want, it, you want conflict. The turning point in your meetings will be when someone says strongly, hey, I don't agree with that. That's good. That's good. I don't agree with that. Okay, why not? And then suddenly they're going to be going for it. They're going to be wrestling with it. Because you don't, you don't have an understanding of truth unless you've wrestled with it. I really think that. Like, if it's just a surface level, like I've been told this and that's it. If it's just right here, it's not going to make it down in your heart unless you've wrestled with it. And you've, and you've said, I'm convinced that this is true. Because I've seen the alternatives and it, it's just... I've seen the truth shine forth. So ask really good questions. I mentioned that already. Um, have more questions prepared ahead of time than you know you'll be able to cover in a small group meeting. You know, just be prepared with a load of questions every meeting. Um, figure out and this is, this is the coolest part about this one. Together, you're going to figure out how do we obey what God is calling us to do. That's really, smoke meeting is where you take the theory that you're hearing in large group, and you're hearing uh, maybe at church, and that you've been reading in the Bible in your personal devotional life. You take that theory and you work it down into practicals. How do we together do lordship? How do we together understand uh, what it means to um, lay down our rights? How do we together 
understand how to do missions? How do we together do these things? How do we together serve? You see how it becomes this practical thing? Small group should always lead you into an act of obedience. And it should be corporate. <clears throat> okay. How do we do this together? Finally, fifth, the fifth way that you do this, you've got to understand the dynamics of your group. You're going to have the quiet and the talkative types. Almost always one of those will be present, <laughs> if not uh, more. And so how do you deal with quiet versus talkative? Okay. First of all, with the quiet people in your group, which will probably be the majority, you need to, you need to affirm the fact that everyone is welcome to speak, but no one is obliged to speak. Do not obligate your quiet people to speak. They'll resent you for that. They don't, if, if someone doesn't want to contribute to the group and, and you're calling them out in front of the group, is that going to create them wanting to come back into that environment? Probably not. So you're, what you're going to do is you're going you're to create an environment where everyone is welcome to share, but not obliged to. You need to assess why a person is quiet. The reasons why someone is quiet vary. They could be quiet because they're just processing the, the, the question. Some people take longer to, to think. You know, they could be deep thinkers and they're just thinking and thinking. And so it, they may, don't assume they're disengaged and they're not listening. That's good. You know, be able to discern. Maybe they're just, they just need more time to think and, and collect their answer. Um, you know, that, that can a lot of times be the case. Um, it can be um, they're just, yeah, afraid to, to speak out in the group, in which case you, you'll, you probably should address that one-on-one -on -one, um, and just get to know why. You know, why they feel so shy, why they feel afraid to contribute to the group, and, and, and hopefully just help them work through that. You know, so the reasons can vary. Um, how to deal with, so, and, and basically your response to that will vary based on why, the person's why. Okay? So if you know that they're a slow processor, give them time. If you know that they're fearful, then deal with that, address those, those fears, and hopefully work through them. Now with talkative people, um, really practically what you can do is sit next to them rather than across from them so that you don't make eye contact with them. <laughs> I'm just saying, this is really, really, I got, and I didn't, I'm not making these principles up, like I got this from Oz Guinness, who is an incredible um, theologian, and he has this, uh, like, advice on how to facilitate discussion. He says, yeah, if you've got to talk to the person, sit beside them. Because if you're across from them as a leader and you're nodding your head like we just naturally tend to do, that's encouraging them to keep talking. And if you, you know, you're, you're making eye contact with them, they're going to keep going. So if you, really practically, if you just have one, someone who talks too much, you can just sit next to them and, and not affirm. Don't, you, don't, you don't have to nod. You don't have to make eye contact with them. Just, just sit there. And eventually, they'll, they'll start to take those cues like, OK, I'm probably sharing too much. Now, sometimes. Um, that person needs to be taken aside. And if you are having to deal with someone who's too talkative, this is what I would recommend. You say to them, you enlist their help in getting other people to talk in the group. Don't frame it in like you talk too much and you know, you're dominating the discussion. But frame it in terms of, hey, I want you to help. Like, do you see how like other, the, you know, John is just not sharing much? Would you be able to help me, do you think? get him to open up more. You know, I really, I really want to have him contribute in our meetings and he hasn't been saying anything. So that can be really helpful to just help the person kind of enlist them on your side. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so now the other thing that you're going to want to do, if, if the small group meeting is trying to create a dependence on one another in your pursuit of Christ, is you need trust. And this is, this is so important, this is huge. You must demand and provide honesty in your small group meetings. So you must demand it. You need to, you need to demand that this is going to be an honest place. Don't settle for less than honesty with one another. Um, your first small group of the year, this is what I would just encourage, should not just be a hangout. The first one sets the tone and the precedent. It should be a time for you to set the standard of honesty and vulnerability. Okay, so in your first couple meetings, first or if not your second, you're going to set the tone. And how you do that is you are vulnerable first. You model vulnerability, and that will breed vulnerability in them. Okay, so you need to come to small group ready to share some deep stuff. Um, share some stuff that they could potentially use to hurt you if they knew it. Okay, um, you know, walking through just your story you know, in the first couple small groups is a good exercise. Getting them to see that the, the tone of your relationship with them is going to be, we're going to be real with each other. And we're, going to be, we're not going to be surface friends. We're going to be the kind of friends that know one another, really. Okay? Set that tone. True conviction accompanies honesty. So if you're wanting to, to disciple students who have conviction, who really will stand up for what they know is right and true in the day of testing, there has to be an honest environment in the meetings. <clears throat> don't let your smart members, um, and this is, this is a general rule, not, not a hard fixed principle, but don't let your smart members confess anything just to you, but tell them to confess it to the group. You know, if you have someone coming, you know, hey, pulling you aside after smart group, hey, I, I, need, I need to share something with you. What you should do is, is hey, um, I really want you to, to share this with the group. Do you think you'd be able to do that? And maybe in that particular time early on, they do need to just talk with you. But your goal is trying to get them to confess to the group. Okay, again, getting away from the mentality of, of like you over here and them over here. Okay. You, need, you need to create an environment, a foster environment, where they feel like they can share that. And so the way you do that is early on in small groups, you need to have one where you're sharing stories with one another. And they're able to get into those details with the group. And that, that's why, see, this is why you're going to call them to faithfulness to your small group. Because you're going you're gonna to have this vulnerability with one another. You're going to have this transparency. You're going to say, look, we need to stick together. You know, we need, we need to, and, and that's going to help you vision cast faithfulness for your small group. We are going to share our deepest things with one another. We're going to share things with what we maybe have never shared with anyone else living before. We're going to have that kind of group. So we're going to need to stick together, guys. We're going to need to stick together, girls. We can't be, we can't be flaky on one another. And when people have been vulnerable themselves, they're much more likely to stay in that group where they've opened up. They, they feel like something's invested, that they, they, they have a stake in it. They have a share in it. Okay? So you want to breed that vulnerability right away. Get to it right away. Um, how to create an atmosphere of trust. This is something that has just been handed down from LTC at Sam Houston. Um, so there's just several things here. I'm gonna go through them. So we have affirmation. Okay. 
Affirmation means anything I have, or excuse me, there's nothing you have done or will do that will keep me from loving you. That means that tone needs to be set right away and needs to be maintained through your small group. There's nothing you could do or say to me. We call this the blink factor. You know, when people confess something to you and it is shocking. <laughs> do not look like you're shocked, <laughs> okay? You need to kind of conceal the fact that you're like, oh man, that's crazy. You can't, you can't express that. When people share their deep things with you, their deep dark secrets, deep dark sins with you, that they never confess to anyone else. You need to have a, uh, almost like a clinical, like, you know, just affirming look on your face. Make sure that you're not, like, looking like you're horrified at them. Because they'll never want to share anything with you ever again. Okay? So you want to, you want to be affirming. There's nothing you say to me, no matter how depraved, that will make me love you less. That's right. Whew, that's how Jesus loves us, guys. Okay. Next, you want to be available, and you want to foster availability. This means everything, anything I have is yours to the limit of my resources. You need to, you need to, make, you need to communicate that to your small group. Anything I have is yours to the ability of my resources. My car is yours. My time is yours. If you seek me out, I will make time for you. Um, my my walk with God is now yours. You know you need to, you need to just share and open up your whole life. My house is yours. My couch is yours. If you want to sleep in my bed, fine, sleep in my bed. My bed is yours. You know you just this 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 is what creates an idea the atmosphere of availability when you open yourself up and say all that I have is yours. Thirdly is prayer. So this is saying I commit to pray for you on a regular basis. Commit to pray for them on a regular basis. Next, we have openness. And this is what I was saying about vulnerability breeds vulnerability. I commit, or I will be honest with you, even if it, or excuse me, I will be open with you with my feelings, my hurts, my joys. This is to reaffirm your worth to me as a person. I need you. When you are open and vulnerable with them, you're saying to them, I need you. I need you. When you share not just your hurts, but your joys, when you share what you've been learning about God, that communicates to your small group, I need you. Fourthly is honesty. Um, this one is, I will be honest with you, even if it hurts you, me, or the both of us. I love this one. Honesty. I will be honest with you, even if it hurts you. <laughs> if I need to call some stuff out that no one else, you know, no one else has told you about and you're not even aware of, you know, we, we all have things that we do and tendencies that maybe we do that would keep us from fostering healthy relationships when we're, when we're young. You know, think back to when you were 18. Some of you, that was a year ago, if not now. But, <laughs> you know, you have things in your life that you're like, maybe you're not aware of. You're going to have those hard conversations as a smoker, but you're going to be the one to be like, hey, you know, you might not be aware of this, but, but what you're doing is, is hurting yourself, it's hurting others. That conversation might hurt that person. Now, you might have conversations that hurt, that hurt you, that, that are hurtful to you, where you're asking them um, things, and, and they're, 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 they're maybe criticizing you, or they're, they're maybe saying, hey, I, I feel this way about you, and that may be hurtful to you, and then there may be conversations that hurt you both. Hey, um, you know, if you keep if you keep going the way you're going, you and I are going to be separated for eternity. 
I, I just, those are the conversations, they're not going to be frequent, but they will be had. And they'll, they'll, they'll be pivotal. They'll be necessary, honestly. Sensitivity. Work to be sensitive to their needs. Be a listener and not an answer man or woman. So be a listener. Sensitivity. That's so important. you got to be able to listen. Let them, don't, like when you're in a one-on-one, and when you're in the weekly meeting, um, don't just have your next point on the top of your mind ready to go. Really listen to what people are saying. Really listen to the Holy Spirit in the meeting. Actively listen to the Holy Spirit in your meetings. Confidentiality. Maintain an atmosphere of trust for openness sake. Confidentiality says anything shared in the small group meeting will not leave this room. Unless, unless um, you know, in extreme circumstances. That's really protecting them. You need, you need to create an atmosphere of confidentiality. I'm not going to disclose what we're discussing here. And they need to know that. And then finally, accountability. I am accountable to become what God has called me to be, not only for my sake, but for yours. Accountability. I am accountable to become what God has called me to be, not just for my sake, but for yours. We are accountable to follow and obey Jesus. Not just, not just for me, but for your sakes. Saying that. Okay, more practical. Um, your location for the meeting is going to be important. You want it to be somewhere private and personal, so your home is often the best. If you live in a house with you know, 10 guys or 10 girls, um, sometimes that's not the best environment. You don't want your roommates walking in and out of the meeting all the time. Uh, so choose a location based on the direction of the meeting, uh, but you want to create uh, a safe place. You really do. So I would highly discourage against having a formal, open uh, talk in the basement of the LSD. It's just not gonna, it's not realistic. People don't want to open up when other people are just walking. You know what I mean? It can happen, I guess, but what I'm saying is like, like make your house available. Make, create a living room environment where they feel safe to open up to one another. Now, you can do other small group meetings that involve um, not just sitting in a couch or a room in a circle, but involve you going and doing something, and that's, we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, but they should have some elements of predictability. People feel safer when the, your small group shouldn't be just some random thing every single week. You know, okay, this week we're going to Denver. This week we're going to go uh, serve the homeless shelter. This week we're, you know, it shouldn't actually be that every single week, something different. It should be, there should be some consistency and then some exceptional times. Does that make sense? Where, where you go out and do other things. Now, this brings us to your meetings must be memorable, Okay. Focus on one or two things per small group lesson. Don't try to make, don't try to make your small group meetings cover, you know, the Gospels and the Old Testament and the law and you know, and I don't know whatever else. Don't like try to cover the whole scope of the Bible in, in a meeting. Like really try to hone in on one or two things that you want them to obey and live out. Um, anytime a lesson or a small group meeting can be accompanied by an object memory, do that. So I took my small group one time to a graveyard. And we had a small group where I was talking about what it means to live dead. You know, Jesus says, those who come after me, if any man wishes to, to save his life, he must lose it for my sake. Right? That whole idea, like losing your life, dying to your life, and then receiving his life. Like I took them to a graveyard. I, I made a very practical object lesson that hammered home that idea. 
Okay, whenever you can do that, it's good to do that. Um, don't overlook fun. Have fun in small group. Love and laughter plow hard hearts. Have fun. Make your small group meetings something that you're looking forward to. Whenever possible, your small group should either lead to obedience or incorporate an act of obedience. So here's some, here's some practical ideas. You could steal any one of these. Feel free. Have a burn party. You know, don't just talk about lordship, but demonstrate it by giving things up and burning them. This means like, like you get a barrel or uh, a fire pit and, and you just you get together all the stuff that you want to give up in your life and you burn it. Come on. Say, hey, we're going to burn. And people have done this in the past and had laptops thrown in the fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, just, yeah, it's re- like people will really do, they'll step up and, and you're getting people to practically obey. It's not just theory anymore. It's like they're really giving up, consecrating themselves to God. Invite your small group to have a sharing party. Okay, this is a little bit different than the burning party. Have a sharing party where everyone brings something valuable to give away that will hurt to part with. And then teach them that that is worship. Come on, Brent. Think about that. How awesome a meeting would that be? Like, have everyone invite your small group to bring something to the meeting that they're going to part with that is going to hurt to give up. Something very valuable to them and share it with someone else in the group. Man, that would be so cool. Okay, um, experience God together. You know, Ileana had a small group in Russia one time where she asked the girls in her group, what does it mean to, for you to experience God? Great question. What does it mean for you to experience God? Most of the girls said going to the Orthodox Cathedral, which in their culture has sublimated and substituted the presence of God. Tragically. And Ileana was able, just in, in, just in that living room space, to have some worship music and some time to encounter the presence of the Holy Spirit. And those girls knew practically what it meant to experience God, that you could do it. You don't have to go to the church and do it. So you can do a small group like that. Let's experience God together. Don't talk about the authority of Christ in theory to, to um, have authority and dominion over the devil, but demonstrate his authority to cast out demons and heal by doing it. <laughs> you know, like, like we're going we're gonna to have some time this afternoon to talk about how to do this, but have a small group where you pray for deliverance and healing in your small group members. Um, ask someone in the small group to serve others by cooking them a meal. Okay, just ask one person in the small group, hey, would you be willing to host small group this week and cook for the, for the rest of the small group? And then imagine ways during the meeting with the other small group members how you can serve one another together. And then do it. The rest of the week, do it. Come up with, you know, however outlandish the ideas may be, try to commit yourself to doing them as best you can and teach them how to serve by doing it. Do a forgiveness small group at Horse Tooth Reservoir. You know, have them write their hurts on a piece of paper and tie it to a rock and chuck the rock in the reservoir. I mean, how powerful would that be? You're practically saying, I'm forgiving, I'm releasing these hurts, and they're going to sink to the bottom of this reservoir. And they're done. You see how, the, you see how those lessons, it takes it out of this lecture style where you're just telling them more information they're going to forget, and it becomes real to them, and they live it out. Okay? Um, so I just need to hurry up and finish up here. I've got a few more things. Um, what do you teach? What, like, what, what do you go into real practically content-wise, um, you know, what you're learning right now, what you've been learning in LTC, um, the essentials, you know, we have them on our website. These are, these are uh, 13 essentials that we've identified that 
that you really should cover these topics, holiness, lordship, salvation, worship, the Bible, prayer, missions, you know, the broad concepts. So how you do them, you can tailor to the needs of your small group. And you can be imaginative and creative, but you need to be hitting on these things. We say this, major on the majors and minor on the minors. Don't do what has happened in the past. There was this one small group leader. She did like a multi-series small group meeting on um, Mormonism. It's like, how beneficial is that? We don't even really have any Mormons on our campus. You know, I can see maybe if we lived in Utah, that might be beneficial. But for, you, you shouldn't be spending four weeks focusing on a cult. <laughs> The, the truth of God, the majors, are so much better to focus on. And besides the fact, you're going to recognize the counterfeit when you know the truth. Okay? The way that you understand what a fake is, is by knowing what is real. So get them to know what the truth is. Get them on that baseline foundation. Like, so many people don't understand what holiness is. That's what we should be devoting ourselves to. Righteousness, godliness. If you read 1 Timothy, the whole letter is not this impressive... Um, exposition on, you know, just Paul's most creative ideas. It's like real practical godliness, righteousness, live out the, you know, just God, a godly life. It's, it's that fundamental truth. That's what you should be imparting. Um, don't get bogged down in the, in the minors, okay? Um, teach, Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So there you go. If you need content, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And he says in Matthew 28, when he commissions us to make disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Okay, So that's a good place to start. What does Jesus command us to do? Let's just teach on that. <laughs> Let's go do that. Let's go do what Jesus actually told us to do. It makes sense? Like, that's awesome, right? Um, come up with a plan. I would say uh, you, want to, you want to think through your semester a little bit you know what I would do this is just me I'm not saying you have to do this I would start with story sharing in the beginning like like listen <laughs> what it what do we let's get to know one another the best way to do that is let's share our stories I ask good questions don't just say share your story but like ask what what who was the most influential person in your life as a child what was the most um, and what what experiences shaped who you are today. Questions like that. Story sharing should take place in the beginning small groups, moving into healing, okay? Because when you share your stories, you're gonna hear hurts. You're gonna hear things that um, they're gonna be dealing with. You're gonna hear about sins in their life. Healing, repentance, you know, that would be the next phase of small group. Um, excuse me, I messed that up. Vulnerability actually should be next. Because okay. people are not going to be vulnerable off the bat. Um, and that's where you're bringing the vulnerability. Then moving into healing. And then finally, impartation would be like the end of the semester. Mid midway. I would say a little before midway. Maybe like after fall salt. But it's really good in the beginning. Those first few small group meetings. You're, you're going to want to share your stories. You're going to want to be vulnerable. You're going to want to provide opportunities for the Holy Spirit to, to heal and when the Holy Spirit has set people free, then you can impart obedience. A lot of times we put, the, we put that backwards. I mean, we, we teach people about obedience, and they've got all these hurts and hang-ups and issues, and they're not going to obey any of it until that's dealt with. And then we focus on vulnerability like in the spring, once we think we've gotten to know one another better. 
And by that point, you know, it's, it's, it's just not as effective. So I would say just that this model will be really healthy. Story sharing, vulnerability from the beginning, setting that tone, healing, impartation. Yeah. And what's impartation? So impartation is what I would say is the, okay, let's figure out how to do this together. That's the, how do we obey Jesus? How do, how do, we, how do we die to our rights? How do, we, um, how do we serve one another? How do we worship? How do we know the Bible? That's impartation. Do you have a question? Okay. Cool. Other weeks, you know, share and teach from your own personal walk with God. If you aren't scared about something, they never will be. And this is where I mentioned you should know your Bible. You should read the Bible cover to cover. I really want to encourage you all to do this over the summer. Read your Bible cover to cover this summer. Don't just focus on the verses and passages that you like, but read the whole thing and invest in the whole thing. Know the Bible. And then finally, do you live out what you ask them to do? Okay, don't be willing, don't ever ask your smuggler to do something you're not willing to do yourself. Okay? Be willing to do that with them, be willing to do that before them, if that if that needs to be the case. And then finally, challenge to obedience. Challenge to obedience. Um, you know, in The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, he t- he relates the story about a man who came looking, basically in the story that you have a group of people who are in this version of hell, and then they go to he- like heaven. It's just a fictional depiction of each one. They get to tra- take this bus up to heaven and visit heaven. And when they visit heaven, there's all these different people that have been in hell that have all these different issues. And one man, he comes to heaven, and it says that he's looking for kindness, but God shows him love. And I think that's such a powerful insight. Like, people come looking for kindness, but God, he's looking to set them free. You see, he's not just looking to, to like pat them on the head. God is wanting to actually deliver people. David Wilkerson, who started Teen Challenge and who led a revival amongst gang members in New York City, his mother was involved in the Teen Challenge. And Winky Pratney tells a story where he was, he was witnessing with David Wilkerson's mom to, this, to gang members. And they had this heroin addict, and you know, he's covered in tattoos, scary looking dude. And David Wilkerson's mom takes him by the jacket and is shaking him and saying, what are you doing with your life? You're throwing it away. And he said that illustration stuck out in his mind so powerfully of what God's love looks like. It's that little frail woman, you know, I don't know how old she was, she's probably in her 70s or 80s, shaking a heroin addict, a big tough dude, saying, what are you doing with your life? Stop it. Like that small group will look like that at times. Okay. Small will look like that. What are you doing with your life? You're worth so much more than that. You're so much better than that. You're so, you're, you're so valuable to God. I'm not going to let you live like that, okay? That's, that's challenge, what challenge should look like. Challenge with measurable steps of obedience. So when you're, when you're talking through obedience with your small group members and you're challenging them to obey, make sure it's measurable. Make sure it's doable. You know, don't challenge them to um, say, like, okay, Commit to, commit to going to a lifetime overseas. You know, like if you're talking about missions, it would be much better to practically serve an international student if you're wanting them to get that hard rather than like, you know, give up your life forever to missions. You know what I mean? Like, like what I'm saying is like, it should be real practical, it should be measurable, it should be something they can accomplish. And then challenge them to think. Um, any questions? This is, remember, the Bible is not, it's not a book to be read, it's a book to be read. Okay.
and you live it out in your smoker. Cool. Awesome, guys. Let's take a little break, and then uh, we'll resume with Jacob.